Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado, and I am joined in studio or in office with our beat writer Carter Baines who is home from school on break. Carter, how are you? I'm glad to be done with finals. Uh, I'll say that much. It was a pretty stressful week last week. I had to take a bit of a break from blitz and everything to study, but um, the term is in the rearview mirror and I got three weeks off. Woohoo! And I'll put you to work. Of course. But this guy knows how to make the boss lady happy. He shows up at my house with this delicious iced coffee drink. It was amazing. So we're sipping on that while we while we work. So just a quick preview of the show. We weren't with you last week. Like Carter said, he was busy with finals. But um, lots of things have happened around Oregon State the past week and a half, two weeks. We talk some hoops. Talk, talk some basketball. You were at the game Saturday. Um, we're going to talk about coach's salary pool, the increase that, that's happening there. Coach Lindgren turning down ASU. I think that maybe got kind of overlooked or glossed over a little bit, but that's a big deal. Um, and then we're also um, going to talk some Ole Miss and that the home and home with Ole Miss that was announced. And I want to really talk a lot about signing day because it's it used to be signing the big signing day was February the first Wednesday of February and now with early signing period it has kind of transitioned to the third Wednesday in December being the big day. So um, we've been prepping here at Blitz for a big day, but I want to give every all of our listeners a, a good rundown of what to expect. You ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. So um, you are the total hoops guy here. Mm-hmm. Tell me. Talk to me about the hoops team. Well, Oregon State uh, returned to action this past weekend after taking a two-week break. Um, they couldn't schedule any games in dead week or finals week. And I'm not even really sure how much they were able to practice uh, over those two weeks. So there was a bit of a layoff there. They come back and they schedule a, a pretty easy opponent in Arkansas Pine Bluff. And they blow them out of the yeah. water. Uh, first half was, I mean, the game got off to a, it was a 23-2 to two start. Oregon State was up, and then uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff kind of figured it out a little bit. But the Beavers still ended up winning by 34, I believe, and um, there was really no question about it. But uh, this team looks really good, and you know, to get that kind of win after having two weeks off says a lot about uh, their preparation and everything. And I think going into conference, they've got a real shot to make some noise in What's really looking like a tough conference this year, there's, you know, the, the top half of the conference actually looks um, like there's a lot of teams that could potentially well, make the tournament this year. Well, Oregon had a really big win as well. Talk, I know you've been watching um, net, is it net ratings? Yeah. Talk to me about what you found there. Okay, so the, the net ratings are uh, basically the NCAA's new, I guess, uh, power rankings. Okay. Like, it used to be the RPI. Uh-huh. Everybody knows that the RPI is a big thing when it comes to who gets into the tournament and everything. So, uh, yeah, I was looking at the net rankings that came out And Oregon today. State does not have a good strength of schedule, correct? No, and that's a big part of what goes into these rankings. And Oregon State's strength of schedule, I believe, is like 300th out of oh. like 350 teams or something. Okay. I mean, they're, they're playing gimme. Yeah. Like, yeah. these are gimme games that they're playing. They rank 40th in the net wow. rankings, which okay. is really, really good. Obviously, their record at, uh, what are they? 8-1. Eight 8-1, one. Eight and one, yeah. I mean, that's going to help. But when you're playing really easy opponents, that tends to bring you down a little yeah. bit. 
but they're still middle of the conference in the net rankings regardless. Um, and I, I think there's a potential there if they start winning some some big games, yeah. especially in conference, for them to climb up into, um, I don't know, maybe the the top 30 even. And I mean, I don't want to say we're going to see this team in the AP poll rankings or mm-hmm. anything like that, but if you can get up into the you know top 30 range or something in the net rankings you're going to be a shoe in for the the postseason okay. so no question so I, we we looked at this before coming jumping on air so right now Oregon State is 7th in the Pac-12 in net rankings and it's really kind of you have a couple top teams so you have Stanford coming in at 9 Arizona at 15 and Oregon at 17 so those are kind of your three upper echelon and then you have this grouping um, with ASU 30 Colorado 31, UW 35, and Oregon State at 40. Um, Utah 54, USC 77, and then Washington State, UCLA, and Cal are all in the 100s. So you really can see kind of the breakout of the conference. I mean, if Oregon State was to knock off, say, a Stanford, Arizona, Oregon, that could potentially, you know, catapult them up. Yeah, and think about last year. Everybody kind of considered it a down year for the conference. I think only three teams made it into the tournament, and even then that was really a stretch. Uh, to see all of these teams bounce back this year and really kind of make a name for the conference, it, that's it's good yeah. for Oregon State because if you win these games, the committee's going to say, well, their strength of st- their strength of schedule really picked up in conference. They got some quality wins to add to their resume. That'll help Oregon State, um, and and it's good for the conference too because you know last year everybody looked at the Pac-12 and said, oh, this conference doesn't look very good and. You know, we, we know what happened with football, and it was kind of a mediocre year where mm-hmm. most teams are around the 6-6 six and six mark. Uh, just for, just on, on the the big scale of conference rankings across all sports, basketball is one where the Pac-12 tends to kind of shine a little mm-hmm. bit with the likes of Arizona, UCLA is usually a, mm-hmm. a pretty good program. So it's, it's good for the conference to, um, you know, have this bounce back year. So... Going back to the game against um, Pine Bluff, they had such a huge lead. Did we see some of those younger freshmen get into the game later? Yeah, and and not as much as I kind of expected. And Coach Tinkle explained this after the game. He just wanted to experiment with some new sets. He mentioned they ran 1-3-1, some full-court stuff with the starters, um, and used it as more of like a practice scenario, in like in-game practice kind of. But we did see guys like uh, Jared Lucas got some extended run, and he set a career high for points with 12, Okay, hit a couple okay. of three-pointers. Uh, Gianni Hunt continues to see quite a bit of action as okay. the backup point guard. He's really the first true point guard Oregon State's had in a yeah, while, save for, for several years. Antoine Vernon. Yeah. But Hunt even has kind of uh, jumped over him in the rotation a little bit. Um, De'Aaron Tucker got in a little okay. bit. Okay. I don't really expect him to make too much of an impact mm-hmm. as we go into conference, but it's always good to have depth in the front court yeah. uh, behind Kyler Kelly and Roman Silva, mm-hmm. who, and by he- the way, Silva has looked very good, yeah. too. He's really starting to figure it out on the offensive end, and he might not be as la- as athletic as Kyler Kelly, but he can really help out in the rebounding mm-hmm. department, which we know is has been a weakness for Oregon State. Well, and we saw a lot, of, a lot of time against Pine Bluff that both Kyler Kelly and Silva were in the game at the same time. And that's something that Tinkle said he wants to do in conference play was he wants to get uh, Silva, you know, comfortable in this, well, he came from a junior college, so he wants to get him comfortable in the the D1 game in preseason, and then when conference rolls around, go with a big lineup where you can put Silva at the four or the five, 
um, and then bring in Kelly and fill that other spot with him, which would really add a new dimension to the offense that we haven't seen in a long time because, let's be honest, Oregon State has not had a whole lot of size recently that they can utilize on both ends of the floor, and that's what they have this year. That's awesome, awesome. Um, Let's talk some football now um, with Coach Lindgren staying. Huge, huge news because, you know, a week or two ago, uh, it was rumored that Herm Edwards had picked Brian Lindgren as his number one choice. There was numbers floating around in that eight hundred to nine hundred thousand a year salary, which is huge. That's a considerable bump for Big bump. at Oregon State. Um, but then we also had read that that Scott Barnes was working to increase the salary pool. Now we don't have numbers, but needless to say, there is going to be a bump in in assistant salaries, and. Uh, and that's big because I think the staff is really deserving of it. Yeah, yeah. We've seen that these, not only the coordinators, but the position coaches have done an incredible job not only finding talent, but developing it. And it's really, it's super important to have continuity on the staff when you're rebuilding a program. And with the staff that's there, the, you know, the level of coaching that we have, yeah. it's super, super important to keep them around. And so I, I think the timing is great to yeah. increase the salary pool to keep these guys around when... You know, other programs are starting to realize mm-hmm. that these guys are legit and they're trying to poach them. Yeah. And Arizona State, it was funny, reading their fans' comments, I mean, they basically thought this was a slam dunk because they look at Oregon State as this lower-tier program, mm-hmm. even if Oregon State beat them. And I mean, they get a little offended when yeah. they call it a lateral move. Yes, yeah, so they, they were totally offended with a lateral move, but mm-hmm. it really is. It's a, it's a Pac-12 job. Um, but I think that's huge. Like you said, the continuity, keeping coaches. This has been a program that's been kind of marred and in turmoil for for several years now and they need those players need to be able to uh keep you know kind of that continuity of what the coaches are telling them how they're teaching it the the language everything and we I see think... we see that with a position group like the secondary mm-hmm. how many coaches have they had oh in the gosh. last five years i mean five four i think or five, four or five yeah. yeah so not only is it big for recruiting mm-hmm. to have continuity there you know players can say oh we trust that this guy is going to be here for a while and you know we, we can really fit into his system but it's huge for player development yeah. because every coach brings in a different style. You know, we, we see that with attrition, especially in the secondary. A lot of guys leaving because you know, maybe they clash with the coaches or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's just overwhelming mm-hmm. for them. Super big to have guys. And no matter, even if they're running the same scheme, there can be different terminology and different. Right. Um, and that was something I, I spoke to a source. I don't know. I've been on a couple radio shows lately and I don't know if I brought this up, but it was an interesting conversation I had with a friend of mine about he, he was talking to a friend of his that actually played NFL ball and they talk about the continuity being important in that it's a three-year deal that year one you want to see them start to you know or to, to pick up stuff year two they need to be picking it up but there's still going to be some mistakes and by year three it takes three years to master a system in the NFL and that's because it's terminology it's expectations and you can be running the same scheme but there's just little small tweaks that different coaches are going to bring and different expectations that make it tough. Mm-hmm. And this isn't really relevant to Oregon State at this point, but that's why I find it interesting when a coaching staff comes into a program and you know maybe they don't live up to expectations right away, and people say, "Oh, let's get rid of yeah. them." You know, this isn't the right fit. Well, it takes a couple of years yeah. to develop a system, and I mean, there were people after year one of Jonathan Smith, they go one and eleven, they say, "Well, maybe he wasn't the right hire." Well, look at what he does. Yeah. What he does in year two. The expectations are even higher in year three. Yeah. You got to give them a chance. Yeah, and I mean there was a lot of people even with Tibisar, mm-hmm. even early this season, and just the the growth they made from Oklahoma State to Civil War. It was incredible. 
huge. And and you, I mean, you played sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, you went through a coaching change playing mm-hmm. basketball. It's it's big. Yeah, and it's not always a smooth process, but once everybody buys in, like in, in Sherwood, mm-hmm. what we did with basketball, we bought into a new system and you know, we put together one of the best years in mm-hmm. in recent memory. So you know, it's applicable anywhere, mm-hmm. really. And and talking with the players, especially in defense, I think last year we saw them all just trying to kind of grasp this new, you know, Coach Bray, Coach Tibisar, Coach Sui Aonoa, Sui Aonoa, um, kind of grasp what they are trying to get at, right? This year, I remember, you know, Carter, you and I were down at Media Day before the start of the season, and hearing guys like Hamilcar, Hamilka and some of these guys talk about they're not thinking as much. And I think that's huge. You know, that's mm-hmm. youth sports um, right up through high school and then in, into college and the pros. You need to be able to just react and know what you're going to do and not be thinking about, oh, my gosh, am I supposed to hit the A gap or am I supposed to hit the B gap or am I supposed to drop back in coverage? Not having to think every time and being able just to react is huge. Um, there's also some big games on the horizon now, um, some out of conference, some home and homes. You know, we are going to Oklahoma State next year to kick off the season in Stillwater. But it was announced last week that Oregon State has a home and home with Ole Miss. How cool is that to get an SEC team to come to Corvallis? And and how cool is it to go to Oxford, Mississippi? Yeah. I mean, I've never been. I've never been to Mississippi. But it looks like a cool place to tailgate. Yeah. I mean, the SEC tailgate scene is obviously I mean, well-known. You're but... going to have to, like, dust off your bow tie, Carter. And uh, although you... <laughs> When I'm 30 years <laughs> when old. When you're 30 years old. And uh, I, I was excited because my kids will be, I'll be in college by then, so I won't have to worry about kids' schedules. Mm-hmm. I can fly down to Oxford and... Isn't that the hotty-totty or, <laughs> or they, the greatest cocktail party? or I mean, they have some, some deal there. Mm-hmm. I don't... It is funny how far in advance they have to schedule these games, yeah. but, I mean... You'll do what you have to do to secure a home-and-home home with a, a big-time opponent yeah, like I mean, Ole Miss. That's, that's... And, I mean, let's be honest, they haven't been, you know, a, a great program in the last few years. But 10 years from now, who knows, who where, knows? Who knows where Oregon State's going to be? Who knows where Ole Miss is going to yeah. be? That's that's what's fun about it is, yeah. you know, 10 years from now we're going to say maybe we've got two top 25 teams going at it in a home-and-home home between Pac-12 any, and SEC. Yeah. That's big time. Anytime you can play an SEC opponent, I think, mm-hmm. is, is a, it's a big deal. And um, especially getting them to Corvallis. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, I think it's pretty exciting. Well, and, I mean, look at Oregon State goes to Michigan and Ohio State in the last couple of years. And, you know, those teams don't want to come to Corvallis. No. So that's why it's – I think it's really important that the Beavers start to play these home-and-homes with big-time programs and don't just go to – you know, a big stadium against a big-time opponent. Yeah. And no body bag. Kicked. Yeah, no body bag games. Um, um, we have Purdue on the schedule. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you schedule one decent conference and mm-hmm. then a couple easier, you know, Mountain West-type schools and, and call it good. But, um, no, I think it's it's going to be fun. I like looking ahead to – nobody nobody gets too excited when you're playing Portland State and yeah. Cal Poly. Yeah. But when you're playing – Oklahoma State or it makes it makes training camp a lot more interesting it makes fans a lot more interested in paying attention season tickets it, it kind of goes all, all it'll be interesting to see though who the coaches are yeah will Jonathan Smith still be at Oregon State will I mean I hope so because yeah. that would obviously mean that would mean are things are going well. well yes um speaking of going well recruiting Carter do you love recruiting as much as I love recruiting well I'm not as invested in it as you are but <laughs> This year especially, it's been really fun to follow because I, I think the class that Oregon State's bringing in this year is really, really impressive. And uh, it speaks a lot to what Jonathan Smith has been able to do on the recruiting front in his short time at Oregon State. Uh, just the fact that you know, we're seeing a bounce back 
uh, like in the rankings and the caliber of players that are coming in. He's really rekindling the recruiting side of football. Yeah. So see, I get to focus on recruiting because I have you handling all the day-to-day beat stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, but recruiting, I love it, um, especially when Oregon State gets, you know, quality kids. I, I think that's something that kind of gets overlooked. And I know a lot of you that I meet, you know, at the recruiting dinner every year and different things, we'll talk little stories. And I have lots of good little stories from over the years covering recruiting. But um, I think the thing that stands out to me, and Amy Schwartz has been helping us a lot this year too, and she mentioned this too, is just what stand-up, top-notch guys these that Coach Smith is bringing in. I mean, um, I kind of cringe sometimes when I get called ma'am. But, um, but at the end of the day, these guys are just good kids strong people um and i think it speaks volumes when coach smith has had two full recruiting classes and we've only seen one flip or one decommitment because he was flipped and that was sam peacock this year who got an offer to his hometown or home state washington huskies so um and they've all been qualifying too qualify exactly i mean i i look at down this list and there's one question mark and that is alex lemon the defensive end from san diego mesa but um, other than that, there are no question marks as far as recruiting, as far as qualifying. So um, I just wanted to go down. There's a couple, I think, key things to talk about with this class. First of all, um, I expect 20, roughly 20 in this right now in, in early signing period. And early signing period really, like I said earlier, has replaced signing day in February. And then it allows the staff to do a couple things by having this early signing period. A, it lets them lock up the guys and not have to quote-unquote, babysit them from poachers all through January. But it also frees up their time to host and recruit the preferred walk-ons, which is a, is a big part of a program. You know, those guys don't get as much love and attention, but it's a huge part of the program. Well, look at a guy like Jaden Grant, who I, he was a walk-on, right? He was a walk-on. Yeah. Noose. Yeah. Noose, you know. Who, who stepped into the starting center this year. So, I mean, you know, they tend to kind of go... Um, unnoticed, I guess, sometimes in recruiting, but they can turn into some of your biggest producers. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, in the past, the coaches have had to focus so much on keeping the commits committed in January that, um, you know, preferred walk-on spots was kind of an afterthought. And this really, what we will see in January now is, is the staff really focusing on those preferred walk-on spots. There may be one to two spots available come, you know, for a scholarship guy. Um, but, Looking at this class, you know, I, I look around at some of our our our, comp, you know, our friends and around the Pac-12 at 24/7, and there's a lot of drama out there. You know, mm-hmm. is this guy going to sign? Is is this guy going to get poached? And we have little drama. I mean, there's one question, not, like I said, Alex Lemon about qualifying, and then really one guy we're waiting on in DB Rajon Wright, and he did take a trip this weekend to UCF, but brother Nashon plays at Oregon State, cousin. Alton Julian has committed to play. So um, I think the Beavers, I know Colorado thinks that, that he's theirs. I, I think a couple schools think he's theirs. And I think if you're an Oregon State fan, you should feel pretty confident that he ends up in the orange and black. And that'd be huge too, because obviously we know the secondary is the point of emphasis in recruiting this year and in getting these transfers and JUCO guys in that will uh, compete right away for a starting spot is going to go a long ways, not only in uh, improving the production that we see in the secondary, but also building depth because we've seen a lot of attrition, like we mentioned uh, earlier. A, a lot of guys leaving the program. There's only, I mean, behind the starters, there's really not many players on the uh, the two deep, three yeah. deep. Yeah. Um, what's also kind of exciting, and this is the kind of stuff that I look for when I'm 
you know, covering recruiting is how many guys are going to be enrolling early? And you look down this list, there's eight, eight players enrolling early. Um, one is the grad transfer, um, Sorensen from Portland State, offensive lineman. He has one year to play. Um, but then you have Zariah Beeson, wide receiver from Texas, prep, he's coming in. Ben Golbranson, the quarterback, is coming in early. Shane Cady um, from Hawaii is coming in in January. And then you have the JUCOs in Alton Julian, Chance Nolan, uh, Tavis Shippen, and Jonathan Riley. They're all coming in in January. So that gives those guys, they are in the weight room with the rest of their teammates in January. They get a head start on school. And then they're ready for spring camp. Mm-hmm. And especially the freshmen, they have all this time with the with the coaches, learning the playbook, getting bigger, faster, stronger before the rest of their, their class comes in. And that goes a long way because we saw with a guy like Omar Spates this year, he was ready to step in week one and make an impact. And we saw you know how quickly he uh, became comfortable in-game and became a, a freshman All-American. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that starts with coming in early, spending an entire three, four weeks in spring camp mm-hmm. with the team, like you mentioned. being Just being with the coaches and mm-hmm. being on campus uh, really goes a long way in their development early on, uh, which really will help them make an impact earlier on in their career. Yes. And I we, we didn't even talk about this, but since we weren't on last week, it was a huge week recruiting. Oregon State picked up four commitments. Mm-hmm. So and not, three in one day. Three right? in one day. So um, the biggest one, I think, if you're a Beaver fan, is Chance Nolan, the quarterback out of Saddleback College. Um, Number one ranked pro-style quarterback in the nation for a junior college player. Uh, 87-4-2 is his rating three-star huge commitment. He had offers from UCLA, Utah, um, you know, Washington State, I think, was kind of sniffing around with him. So huge pickup. And I think that goes direct correlation with Brian Lindgren staying, with you know Coach Smith and, and Brian Lindgren, Lindgren were in house in home with him. He's broken almost every record at Saddleback, and mind you, a guy by the name of Colt Brennan, remember mm-hmm. that guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who had the record. So, um, super athletic. He can he can move with his legs and and throw, and just give the Beavers some depth, and push. Uh, Tristan Jebbia. You yeah, know, I, I'm really excited to watch this battle between Nolan and Jebbia over the course of the offseason. And it re- reminds me a lot of uh, kind of the conversation that we had about Luton and Jebbia last year, where both of these guys are probably, I mean, talent wise, there's probably not a whole lot of uh, disparity or anything like that. You know, we're probably going to get the same thing from Coach Smith, where he says we can win with both guys. Uh-huh. We, we think that they're both, you know, really good playmakers. And honestly, I, I could see this one dragging out until week one of next year, not knowing who's going to be the starter, because um, while Jebbia has the experience in the system, Nolan really is, I mean, I was watching his film last he's week. He's impressive. He's impressive through the air and on the ground. I was watching, um, you know, midway through his tape, there was this really impressive run where he escaped a couple potential sacks and then, you know, made a couple juke moves and made it down to like the five yard line or something. And that's something that you know, really with the combination of that and throwing the Oregon State's never had before. Because yeah. we had that ability on the ground with yeah. a guy like Seth Collins, and, you know, there was that transition period there where there were some more athletic guys that maybe couldn't throw it as well. And then we get Luton, who's more of a pocket passer. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Jebbia is more of kind of the middle ground. Yeah. Um, but I just I like mean, having the option, right? Yeah. I think any time that you are one-dimensional as just a passer, or if you're, I mean, Seth Collins was just a runner, mm-hmm. It be that one dimension makes it a lot easier to defend, mm-hmm. but you become very difficult to defend. I don't care if you can make the eighty-yard bomb; 
as long as you can have a, a decent arm and can move some. You don't need to be the fastest guy, but escape the pocket, be able to pick up some yards if you have to. It, it's huge. It makes it's it super a, hard. It's a huge weapon in today's game uh, where... Faster defenses. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, maybe the receivers can't get open, which is something that the Beavers have actually struggled with the last couple yeah. of years is, you know, guys other than Isaiah Hodgins getting open. Well, if the secondary takes those guys away and the pocket collapses, a guy like Nolan can get out of the pocket and make a play for himself. So instead of taking a sack and losing 10 yards when you don't have anybody to throw to, maybe you pick up 10 yards. Exactly. And we saw that with Tristan Jebby at Civil War. So um, one commit that we just picked up as well, Oregon State picked up, is um, Sione Lolohea out of San Bernardino. Defensive end, 6'3", 240. This guy, now you're going to look at the composite ranking and say he's not, he's a composite 8544. But that's because the other services have him ranked low. Greg Biggins saw him late late in the season, loved him, said upside was huge, said possibly steal of the class, um, and bumped him up to an 88, which is almost a four-star. Building the defensive line has been just the progress that they've made uh, bringing talent in and then developing the talent that they have on the defensive line the last really year, year and a half, has been super, super impressive. We saw them get better over the course of this season. Uh, They took a huge step forward after just a terrible year in in Coach Smith's first year. And a guy like Lolohea is exactly what they need to not only build depth, but bring in um, higher caliber players. Yeah, and then and speaking of higher caliber players, how about Charles? Yeah, Moore? I was just gonna say, how about Charles Moore, another defensive end? And I think Beaver fans are gonna forget about him. Um, I, I don't th- think we'll hear about him necessarily on signing day, unless I throw a question at Coach Smith on signing day about him. But Charles Moore, that was the four-star transfer from Auburn. Um, I had a, I was on um, 1240 radio with John Warren today. And I got a text from him later that some a listener had asked about, you know, when he was going to be on campus. He's already there, guys. He is working out with the team. He is going to class at Oregon State. He's here. Huge. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the highest caliber players Oregon State has ever gotten. Uh, and, and coming from a school like Auburn, where you know the linemen in the SEC are huge and athletic and everything, to bring a guy like that into the Pac-12 He's going to be a huge, huge weapon. Yeah. And then you think about what you have coming back. Mm-hmm. You'll get Jeremy Reichner back. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon Sandberg. Simon Sandberg had a, you know, finished the year pretty mm-hmm. strong. Maybe James Rawls takes a step forward, cracks the rotation oh a little gosh. bit. Oh my gosh. This is like a whole nother discussion. Yeah. But it's exciting. If you're a beer fan, I think you and I talked about this. We were drinking our coffee and kind of planning out the show. How good could this defense be next year? They could be scary good, especially if those Juco guys in the secondary. Um, you know, live up to the expectations and improve that group. Uh, I mean, they're not losing anybody in, in the linebacker group outside of Shamar Smith, who yeah. really didn't even play a whole lot this year. Yeah. So every single guy in that group will be back and better than they were last year. And you add Anjay Hughes Murray. Uh-huh. He's uh-huh. back. You'll add we're Addison Gums. We're assuming that Hamaka Rashid will come and back. We're assuming. Now, tw- Twitter, he made a comment. We can't take everything social media, but... This was him, and he said something about they were ranked 72, and he mm-hmm. said something that that'll be better next year. Mm-hmm. And then fans kind of jumped on, like, does that mean you're coming back? He said yes, and then he deleted that tweet. Mm-hmm. But um, I think... I would lean tense. towards he's going to come back. I mean, can you imagine? Him, Avery Roberts, Omar Spates. Well, yeah, I mean, you'd have a first-team All-American in Rashid, a freshman All-American in, in Spates, and then Gums coming back healthy, hopefully. Yeah. 
Avery then, Roberts. Yeah, I mean Avery Roberts. And yeah, if John McCartan. John McCartan, Matthew Tago. Yeah. Yeah. They could be scary, scary good. Kind of fun. And then the D line, like you said, it all starts up front. Mm-hmm. And with some of these guys developing I mean, this will be the best defensive line Oregon State has had in multiple years. So ranking wise, looking at the ranking, um, Oregon State comes in at forty six nationally, eighth in the Pac twelve. So last year they were 52nd nationally and 10th in the Pac-12. Um, average player ranking. And I think this is important. Some mm-hmm. I actually got into a Twitter fight, I guess, or Twitter discussion with a local um, recruiting writer last year about this um, when he said that this was the worst Oregon State class he had seen. And then, But you look at average per player ranking last year was a 0.8455 and that was one of the highest since I believe it was 2012 2011 Mm -hmm. Um, and this year we're up to a 0.8501 making strides so that is your total mid three-star recruit right there 85 is a middle to high middle three-star recruit and I think that's where Oregon State is going to kind of make make its living is is with those guys and developing those guys and, and then bringing in the four bringing, stars yes, and transfer. Bringing in some transfer talent along the way. And I, Oregon State will have, like I said, one to two scholarships left after the signing period. The one question, like I said, we're waiting on is Rajon Wright. So we'll see see what happens there. I haven't heard when he plans to announce, if he's a signing day decision, or if he will announce you know, tonight, tomorrow. But um, we'll be on that. But um, it's obviously they're making strides. Mm-hmm. Um, who are you most excited to see out of this class? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but... Uh... Well, we mentioned Charles Moore, and I think just kind of the value of the uh, level of player mm-hmm. that he is is going to be really fun to watch because you know, he is going to be one of the highest caliber players we've seen in a long time. But in terms of you know, maybe like a storyline to follow, mm-hmm. I, I think the battle between Chance Nolan and Tristan Jebbia is going to be something that's fun for us to watch in spring and fall yeah. camp. And then just you know, from an outsider's perspective... We both we know that both of these guys are good, and so I think mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of excitement around that. I think when I'm looking at it, I think Isaiah Newell brings mm-hmm. a lot of intrigue. Six three two fifteen running back. Mm-hmm. Oregon State hasn't seen a running back that big in a long time, and and he could fill the hole that Artavis Pierce exactly. But then you also have Teron Madison, you have BJ Baylor, Calvin Tyler. I mean, there's 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 room there, but just a different body style um, that Oregon State likes him as a bigger back. And you know, you talk to to Brandon Huffman. And Brandon actually liked him. So he's ranked right now as an athlete, 24-7. Brandon Huffman likes him as a linebacker. He's super physical. So that's I think that might be why he is not rated as highly. I I really think he's a four-star type player, but um, we just haven't, you know, he's 87. It's not like he's um, not great, but um, highly ranked three-star. But I I do think he's deserving of that fourth star. I think he'll be exciting, um, but... Like you said, looking at those junior college DBs, Alton Julian, um, Ron Harge, I think are exciting. Silas Bolden, that's another one. So everybody remembers Victor, Vic Bolden, um, just a speedster. His brother is maybe faster, but what I like about him is he really has moved up. You know, this is a guy that he's he's listed five ten, and when Big uh, Greg Biggins saw him earlier in the year, I mean, he had him kind of a lower three star, but. Greg has seen him now several times. He plays at Rancho Cucamonga, C.J. Stroud, one of the top quarterback recru- recruits in the country. Um, one of his Silas is one of his favorite targets, and Greg Biggins actually said, you know, that he's made huge strides um, over the past this course of the season. His senior film, 
And uh, Greg has him up to an 87. Again, almost a four-star. Again, that doesn't reflect in his composite rankings because the other services aren't, um, haven't reevaluated him or have not increased his, his rating. So that brings him down. But um, I tend to look at the 24-7 ranking just because I trust our guys. And they, they actually get out on the road and see these guys. And he fits the mold of the athletic receiver that Oregon State likes to have and, you know, use them in the running game and everything like that. I would like to see the Beavers pick up a tall receiver now that, um, you know, Hodgins is going They're going to need pro. it because, I mean, who's the tallest receiver on the roster now? I mean, I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, He's I mean. no taller than six feet. Yeah, exactly. There's nobody 6'2 or above. So, um, I mean, they bring, they're bringing in a couple tight ends. Tommy Spencer at 6'5 and uh, Jake Overman is more of that 6-3. But again, they're tight ends. Um, Trevor Pope will be a wide receiver, 6-1. But yeah, they need... I would love to see them. That's where I'd like to see them go transfer portal. I know some Beaver fans out there would like to see them go transfer portal for O-linemen, but I like the O-line. I like where they're headed um, just with some of the athleticism. And I, I think we forget about some of the guys that maybe played backup this year. And uh, Josh Gray, Josh and Gray, Clark. yeah, exactly. Levin Good played. Yep. Um, Jalen Bush is in the in the mm-hmm. mix. So I think there's some talent there. Obviously, you'll get Nate Eldridge. He should be playing. I wouldn't be surprised to see Eldridge take over center. Noose move to one of the guards. Yeah. And then if you you know you talk with Peter Riley Osborne, a former O lineman, you know he talks about Gus and as good as Gus is and as tough as Gus was, Gus is really, in Peter's opinion, was really brought on to be a guard in a RPO system. And that's not what Smith was running. He was brought in by Anderson for that mobile quarterback Mm -hmm. offense. Um, So the more you kind of move toward bringing in guys, and I think think Blake Brandell was probably the one that took the biggest jump this past year. And it's going to hurt to not have him because the continuity that he brought starting in, I don't know how many consecutive games, 45 or something crazy like that, it's going to hurt, yeah. and it's not going to be easy to replace. I mean, that whole left side. You know, you're right. replacing the left side. And right. Gus, probably one of my favorite players that I covered in mm-hmm. the past four years. Mm-hmm. Really, really talented guys and, and really fun guys to cover, yeah. like you mentioned. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, there's talent behind them that just hasn't been shown to the yeah. public yet. Um, that, you know, you and I get kind of the, the joy of seeing those guys in practice and everything. And we get to see that there is potential Yeah, there's potential. Them. And I think people are going to be surprised when they see... Uh, I mentioned Gray and Clark, mm-hmm. but there's other guys too that, you know, newcomers this year and everything that... Well, look is... at Noose. Nobody mm-hmm. would have saw Noose being mm-hmm. as solid as he was this year. Mm-hmm. Tough position for a guy to be thrown into the starting center role. Um, new president too at Oregon State. That was just announced. Former president at LSU, F. King Alexander. I, I don't know much about him. You went, I went to the uh, 24-7 LSU board. They seemed happy he was leaving. But I couldn't tell if that was more politically charged. What I mean, thoughts, Carter? I mean, it's a president coming from a potential national champion football program. Mm-hmm. So the press release that Oregon State put out mentioned that, you know, he's a, a very well-known proponent mm-hmm. of higher education. Uh, he takes academics very, very seriously. And obviously that's what you wanted at a major public yeah. institution, a land-grant university, which... Um, you know, it, I, th- I think the academic side of this whole thing is going to be incredible. I think he's going to do great things. The question that obviously we're focused on here is, will he put an emphasis on athletics um, that is greater than what we have now? Yeah. And 
to be honest, I have no idea what to expect. I know, I don't either. Coming from LSU, you think, you know, it's an athletic powerhouse. Their football team's number one in the country. Joe Burrow just won the Heisman. You know, obviously, he has to be invested in athletics, right? Well, and then you mentioned Ed Ray came from Ohio State. Yeah. <laughs> and we know what he's done for the athletic side of things. So, total wild card. I guess time will tell. But, you know, I think the things that the academic or the uh, athletic department have done in the past few months, increasing the salary pool, announcing the new research project, I think there's momentum there mm-hmm. that um, F. King Alexander can kind of work with and say, I am dedicated to this, and we're going to make this a point of emphasis. We're going to develop athletically, and that in turn will help us enrollment-wise with funding, everything Which, that's my biggest rant. I mean, you guys have heard me. I've gone on. But just think back 20 years ago. If you thought, I mean, I think back to when I went to Oregon State in the the mid to late 90s, and it was 13,000 enrollment, a crappy football team. No, You know, money wasn't being given. And then you look at what happened when that flipped. And how much money has come into the university? How ma- the enrollment now is over thirty thousand? I'm a huge proponent, but that's me. And like I said, that's my soapbox. Um, we are two days away from National Signing Day, less than two. Stick with Beaver Blitz because we have lots of great coverage. We've been planning this and working on it. Amy Schwartz and I, for goodness, it's been a couple weeks now, reaching out to the players. And then following Signing Day, it's actually kind of fun because we have bowl season, the most wonderful time of the year. It'd be better if Oregon State was in a bowl, but they're not. So, um, but we also then take down and we do our signing capsules. So we'll be doing that. We'll be working on some position breakdowns and mm-hmm. look, looks ahead to what 2020 could bring. Um, so lots of, of great content. The message board, the lodge has been hopping. So I want to welcome all the new members that have taken advantage of some of our promos. Last promo we have going on probably for the rest of the year, is a 30% off an annual subscription right now through signing day. So if you're not a member, which I don't know why you wouldn't be at this point if you're listening to the damn podcast, um, jump on 30% off or the first month for a dollar. So there's two different ways of doing it. But jump in. I swear we would love to have you. Um, But holidays are coming up. Seriously, I can't even believe that we have signing day and then like the holidays next week. Carter, I have we. I like to kind of just throw kind of wild card questions at you. And I was going to ask you what your favorite holiday treat was, but then I realized that I ask about treats all the time. Yeah, we um, always talk about food. I don't know what that says <laughs> about me, but um, favorite Christmas movie? It's a tough one because, I mean, they're all really good, but uh, kind of a family tradition of ours. We always watch It's a Wonderful Life on uh, Christmas Eve, and... I mean, it's it's a classic. How can you not like it? So I don't honestly think I've ever watched the whole movie. It's really I, it's good. Crazy. You gotta do it. Uh, but isn't it kind of depressing? Maybe a little bit. I like happy because my favorite is Christmas Vacation. Again, that probably speaks volumes to who I, I am. I would say that's my second favorite, <laughs> just for the the comedic aspect. So we watch that every Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. We watch after dinner and we like we grab our pie or whatever, and then we go watch Christmas Vacation every year. It's a good one. And then. My kids, my, my kids are getting too old, and they kind of roll their eyes at me, but I'm still, I like Elf. Mm-hmm. And then I like, I like the Hallmark movies. Do you watch Hallmark movies? Every Mom, now and then. Mom and sister watch them? I mean, they're a little cheesy. They're but total cheesy. They kind of get you into the holiday spirit, right? <laughs> and I like, yeah, I like all the dumb, I don't know, Santa Baby, um, which is a little known one. I don't know if anybody's seen it with Jenny McCarthy. Um, let's see. I, I do like Home Alone. Well, Home Alones are okay, but my kids always laugh at them. 
watch Home Alone. The and original then, Home Alone, though. The, the sequels weren't as Yeah, good. yeah. The original and the second. Okay. And then I like the Santa Claus. And Santa Claus 2 and Santa Claus 3 is kind of getting losing me. But, mm-hmm. yeah, see, I like all those stupid cheesy movies. But, <laughs> anyway, um, stick with Beaver Blitz. We'll let you guys go on that note. Enjoy your holidays. Be safe. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of the damn podcast. Probably wrap up signing day. Maybe we'll do a pre-Christmas one. Sounds good. Carter's around. Have a great day, Beaver fans.